Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. from the church safety guys good afternoon james hey simon how are you today <laughs> well it was a real it was really a struggle for me not to introduce you and get your name wrong because if anyone <laughs> cannot say of a mo it is it is james mcgarvey it is me and and having the last name mcgarvey i think i have i've heard it any possible variation which i'm sure you have with your last name as well too but yeah, I'm sure McGravy is most probably the most common one. That's where my <laughs> brain goes to when I'm thinking I'm going to introduce this guy. So, very much so, very much. Yeah, so. You'll, you'll get that. You know, my, my name is not the easiest to say, and you know, you've only been trying to practice for a year, so you know, you'll get there. <laughs> two, two or three years, you're, you're there. But, well, James, I'm really pleased that you're joining me today for who I became, and I know you've got a very interesting um, background, and, and you're one of these people that gives so much of yourself away. And when I see people do that, I'm always intrigued to sort of learn more about their stories and I, I own your book but I've got to be honest I couldn't find your book today to, to, <laughs> to, to, to show but you know we are you are the author of the 31 day devotional for church safety leaders yeah and you yes. are the co-host of one of the largest church safety groups on on Facebook so thank you for everything that you do well, I, I appreciate the recognition. That's that's not why that's not why I do it. But it's nice that uh, every once in a while that that that's recognized. So but. you like to pat on the back, but it's not why you do it. I like it. You're Correct. trying to say that with straight face, and that's good. But so, well, maybe tell us how did you get into sort of um, not so much church safety, but how did you get into starting this group on on Facebook? Sure. Well, honestly, at the time, and, and we're actually, we're in our fourth year um, now, but honestly, I looked at, I went to several conferences. I, I had talked to Jimmy Meeks and, and Carl Chen about the possibility, the idea of maybe doing something on social media to, to reach out to people. But when I went on social media, much of what I found was um, really it, it really was geared more towards a tactical approach, approach of, you know, this is the right way or the wrong way to do something. And I didn't find, to me, I didn't find a whole lot of substance uh, with the groups that were out there. Uh, I really prayed about it, but I, I looked at it as, you know, I want, I want to share some of my best practices over the years with starting a safety team with other churches that, that maybe they're going through similar things. And the big thing is, you know, once you've established a team, you have to you have to minister to those individuals. As you lead that team, you have to operate it on a disciple uh, discipleship level. And so I wasn't seeing that. I wasn't seeing any any groups where it seemed like we were building each other up and encouraging each other. And so. Um, I started the, the church safety and security group. Uh, I think originally we had about a hundred, hundred people in it. And, uh, and now almost, um, well, just after four years later, uh, we're actually over 2,600 now. So, uh, God has blessed that ministry and has really grown it, uh, far, far beyond what I, I thought in the beginning for sure. Yeah, and there's a lot of work, and I've appeared on your show a few times. There's a lot of work and dedication that goes into it. So I'm sure always, it's always great to see those that do volunteer work, you know, um, do well and, and, and bless other ministries. But you know, outside of church safety, Paul, um, what do you do for work? Uh, well, I work for the uh, U.S. Defense Department, a, a um, 
You're going to go uh, a secret I, squirrel on me now, are you? I, I can't talk about it or I have to yeah. kill you. <laughs> That's normally what follows when someone says I work for Ministry of Defense yeah. or something like that. I, yeah, I do. And when you hear that knock on your door in, a, in about five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> when, when, you're, when your wife answers the door, there'll be there'll be men in black suits with uh, suburban black suburbans parked out in your driveway uh no what i what i do is i do contract uh investigation and purchasing for uh for the defense department so uh anytime uh the defense department needs to purchase something in my division it's it's particularly for uh vehicles and uh and so if something uh if somebody say the army uh, needs a part for their MRAP or their Humvee or something of that nature, uh, they reach out to us and, and we operate much uh, in logistics, much like a distribution center. And so what I do is I, I review contracts and I go back and, and make sure that the company is really who they say they are, that they have the capability of producing, uh, and, and then certainly that we're, we're looking at U.S.-based companies uh, first to supply that need for, for the warfighter. So it's fun. It's, it's interesting to me. Every, every day is a little bit different. Um, I've been involved in some, some fairly large investigations. Um, with with the FBI and the ATF, um, but then I've also had the opportunity to uh, make a difference with you know ships that were were getting ready to be deployed, and they were waiting for you know one specific thing, and you know I was able to to get that so that they could uh, be deployed and and go into the the field. So um, it's very to me it's very rewarding, but I I enjoy it. And it must be challenging, Rob, because a, a leader often has to lead with no's or a leader grows by their no's and not with yeses. So when you're in a due diligence sort of procurement type role, you know, I'm sure no must have to come out of your lips occasionally and uh, you're, you're the bad guy. It, it does. And I do. And uh, maybe that's where my my love for uh, the, the topic of de-escalation has come in, <laughs> has come into effect. But you know, we've we had one uh, one quick story. We had a a, a company uh, approach us and ask if they could manufacture ballistic glass for uh, MRAPs. Basically, we needed a supplier for for bulletproof glass, basically, and. Uh, you know, this was a new company and, and we had never purchased anything from them. And so I started doing some research and, and the location that we were given as far as an address goes was something similar to that of a Panera Bread. And so, you know, looking through this, I'm, uh, you know, I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm like, wait a second here. I don't think a bakery can produce <laughs> a bulletproof glass, but uh you know, if you've if you've ever seen or or any of your or your listeners have ever seen the movie War Dogs, um, it's not a great movie, uh, but that is very similar to to what I do. Is is that uh, the basis of that movie? And that movie is a true story, unfortunately. And sometimes, you know, some purchases the the government does get taken, and uh, they don't typically. Uh, take real kindly to that. And usually when something like that happens, then, you know, the FBI, the ATF, other government agencies decide to step in and, 
and uh, right that wrong. So, <laughs> well, before you say something that you're not allowed to, and uh, the sure. men suburbans turn up at my house, we'll, we'll move on to definition. But I want to talk about uh, you spent a lot of time in sort of volunteerism around EMS and law enforcement. Sure. And I know there's a story that starts when you were 10 or 11 that uh, mm-hmm. your grandma fell down the stairs, and that really changed your sort of career path, you might say. Do you mind sort of sharing that story sure. about the, when your grandma fell down the stairs? Absolutely. So uh, my my family originally was was from New Jersey, and when I was little, uh, we moved to New Hampshire, um, mostly because uh, my dad was an engineer, uh, but he took a, a, a low low paying job and basically wanted to move because he felt like where we were living was becoming unsafe and he wanted to get out of the city. He wanted to be more in the country and and raise uh, raise our family in the country. And so um, so we moved we moved up to New Hampshire. There were some friends we had up there and uh, there was a period of time in getting settled. And, and, And I grew up in it's funny because I a lot of my background is very similar to Paul's. Uh, when I heard that story, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's crazy!" I was just say Paul Buckner is your co-host yeah. on the Church Safety Guys. Paul Buckner's. So I'm sorry. So, um, so yeah. So we we got established, and there were different life experiences. We had the opportunity to live on a dairy farm. So, you know, I would help my dad take care of animals and and work on tractors and plow and and that sort of thing. And and I was I was always comfortable either wearing a tie or wearing jeans and a t-shirt. It, it just it didn't matter to me. Um, but when I was about about 10 or 11, uh, my uh, grandfather passed away. And so my dad didn't like my grandmother living in New Jersey by herself. And so he he asked her to come live with us for a bit. And uh, she I think she lived with us for about a year and a half. And during that time, of course, there was a lot. My, my grandmother was a very headstrong Catholic woman. <laughs> and there was always uh, she did not want to live with us. She she wanted to live in New Jersey with her friends and church and and everything. And so there was always interesting situations. But she would she would do our laundry often, and our laundry was down. Our, our machines were down in the basement. And so one day she she walked down there, and I think she missed the last two steps, and ended up uh, falling. And when she fell, she kind of fell straight down. She didn't have an opportunity to catch herself. And uh, she banged her head on uh, the concrete wall as she went down. And so she she had started screaming. She was screaming hysterically. And uh, of course, you know, my mom ran down there to see uh, what was happening, you know, what was going on. Didn't really know what happened. Um, we heard the, th- the noise of her falling. Uh, and then so she she yelled to my older brother at the time that the two of us were really, I mean, it was just the three or four of us at home. So she yelled to him, you know, go call an ambulance. And he, he ran to the phone and picked up the phone and, and, uh, you know, of course, this is showing my age, but nine one one wasn't existent then. We had to ring oh, up wow. the local, <laughs> ring up the local squad. Um, but uh, you know, an ambulance was dispatched and the uh, the rescue squad showed up and and the people and of course there are people I don't know and they're banging on the door and they're stomping in and they're carrying gurneys and bags and all this stuff and you know being ten or eleven I was really overwhelmed I didn't know anything I didn't know you know if my grandmother was going to be okay or not and uh, and so uh, a, a lady came in by the name of Dee Campbell and I found out later she was actually the rescue captain so she was in charge but she came in she walked past me. 
and stopped and turned around to me and she kind of looked at me and and she put her her hand uh, on my arm and she said, honey, what's wrong? And I said, well, you know, and I was trying not to cry or, you know, I was trying to hold it together. And I said, my grandmother fell down the stairs and I don't know, you know, if she's going to be okay. And so without saying a word, and I had never seen this lady ever before. I had no idea. We had just moved into that house. And so I didn't know anyone. And so she, she reached out and uh, put her arm around me and brought me in and, and just hugged me and actually just held me for a few minutes. And she said, honey, she said, your grandmother's going to be fine. We're going to take care of her. And, uh, you know, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And so, uh, you know, that was just crazy impactful to me. And so I stepped back and, you know, she carried on. She 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 went about helping, uh, helping the squad load her into the ambulance. And of course, back then, uh, if you've ever I don't know if you've ever seen the show Rescue um, or Emergency, I'm sorry, with Rescue 51. But um, that was really the day when an ambulance was just a, a a glorified taxi to take someone to the hospital. There was very, very little medical equipment on an, on the ambulance. And so they transported her. And of course, she was back home that night. Um, but what was interesting to me about it was uh, there were two. It really. Um, really made me think two things. The first thing was I I felt very unprepared. And in the situation, my dad uh, was always very much be prepared for the unexpected. And so, you know, he would teach me how to do everything like, you know, change a tire, you know, when your tire goes flat on the road. So so that you knew how to handle things and, and be prepared for that. And I wasn't prepared for that. And that that really hit me hard. And the other thing was that, you know, I realized that. I didn't like the fact medically that I didn't know how to help her. And I kind of felt like just an idiot standing there, even though 11, I, Paul, but I'm James, sorry, give yourself some credit. You're 11. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's true. But at the same time, you know, it was just the, the fear of not knowing how to handle it. And, and that impacted me because as we were talking earlier today, you know, I just, I am, I like to be able to step in now because of that and, and say, okay, this is how we handle this stressful situation. And so this, that really pushed me to have, have an interest in EMS. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just started, you know, scooping up everything I could find, you know, the Red Cross had uh, books back from the seventies that they were still selling, you know, so I'd go to a yard sale and find one and read it and, you know, practice bandaging and, and doing all this stuff. And, you know, every waking moment that I had, I'd go to the fire station and, and uh, look at the rescue truck, you know, help with the fire trucks, that sort of thing. And, uh, and so it really just, my love for that just continued until the point where I was, you know, old enough to get the official training and help them and and do things. And at that point I had, I had really gotten to meet people. And so they knew who I was. They were like, Oh yeah, that's that kid that always, you know, he's been hanging out at the fire station for the last two years. Um, but the cool thing about it was that, um, 
probably close to eight years later, I was able, because uh, I worked for an ambulance company and uh, did some dispatching and, and, and volunteered with that department, I was able to actually go back and, and review all of the, the documents from, you know, eight years before that showed, you know, this paramedic was on this call, this person was the driver, and I knew them. They didn't remember me, but I actually, I was able to go back to them and thank them and say, you know, you know, Miss, Mrs. Campbell, what you did really changed my life. And, and that really cemented my love for being able to um, look at a situation, articulate, articulate it and try and help someone when they were in a place where, you know, they were overwhelmed to, to do something themselves. Yeah, so. for you, that must be quite a passionate moment to you know, be 10 or 11 to see this event, you know, that your grandma's fallen down the, the stairs. You don't know quite what's um, happening. There's a lot of strange people coming in the house. And then to have sure. that passion and the desire into become an EMS and, and go through some various different training and then to find the people that actually helped your family and then to thank them. That must have been a, a great um, experience to, to go through. And they were like, who is this young guy? Or you realize, Paul, I'm, oh, I keep calling you Paul for some reason. You and Paul Butler, too, you're, you're all in one. I keep seeing you both faces. But, but it must have been thinking, you know, James, we go to like 4,000 calls a year, calls for sure. service. You know, we can't remember everyone. But I mean, um, what did they take away from it when they were, you were stood in front of someone that says, you know, 10 years ago, you came to my house and I'm here because of you? Uh, or what did you really see in their emotion? Well, you know, it's always, it's kind of like, it's interesting. It's kind of like um, when you go up and you thank a veteran, um, you know, often. And that was one thing. My dad, uh, my dad was a veteran. My, uh, I have a lot of relatives that, that were veterans that served in Vietnam and, and uh, in World War II and the Korean War. And, uh, you know, one thing my dad always taught me growing up is we'd, we'd be in the grocery store and he would go, if somebody was wearing a veteran's cap or hat or shirt or something, we'd go up to them and we would, uh, we would thank them. You know, we'd intentionally say, thank you for your service. And, uh, we appreciate that. And, and so I think often, you know, you, you've been in law enforcement. I think a lot of times the emotion is, you know, we did it because we think it's, you know, we're, we're kind of like shepherds or sheepdogs. We think it's the right thing to do. That's not our motivation. So a lot of times when somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, thanks for doing a great job. You, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I'm like, just doing my job. I mean, what's your welcome. <laughs> right. So from that standpoint, I think that, um, I think that she, she didn't know. I mean, it was obvious she didn't know who I was other than, you know, the young guy that was always hanging out at the fire station and trying to, uh, trying to be helpful and do things. But, um, you know, it's, it, to me, it's interesting. I mean, she was, she was appreciative and she, she was kind of like, wow, I didn't, you know, I, that was a long time ago and you still remembered. And so moving forward, you know, I, I've, I always, from that point forward, I always tried to remember, you know, if I, if I interact with somebody and thank them, uh, you know, I need to be sincere. I need to be 
to be honest, but at the same time, you know, we don't hear that a lot. We don't hear, uh, even in church safety today, you know, I don't hear thank you often. Uh, and, but when I do, you know, when I walk through the churches as the church safety director, uh, and someone comes up to me and says, Hey, I just want to say thank you for how you serve in the ministry you serve in. It, it means a lot to me because as you know, there are countless hours that go into things like that for training and, and practice excuse me, practice and drills and all that sort of thing that um, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you've had various different sort of volunteer positions, some mm-hmm. EMS that have been paid and some true voluntary and, you know, you, you help out at your, your church. But if we particularly focus on when you're in EMS, I mean, I know you told me a story once that you literally had to climb over a cliff because a car had you know, <laughs> fallen off. And I mean, but that isn't an everyday job for anyone, you know, I'm just trying to imagine you want to rope it's not, being, being well, lowered down with a medical um, right. bank. So that, I, I was just going to say that particular yeah. case, it, it was, and I, I used to do a lot of that stuff. Why, you know, if a car, I, I've crawled into cars while they were on their side before or on the roof and not given it a second thought. And one of the reasons I kind of got out of it was because my doctor came to me and said, you're not you're not a young guy anymore. And, and I was in my thirties and, and he, I'm like, I'm not old. <laughs> and he's like, no, but well, you do predate nine one one. You just said, yeah. <laughs> you're not a young man, but you're my, uh, my doctor, of course, my doctor at that point, you know, a small, small farm community doctor, he was in the seventies and I'd known him all my life. And, and he's like, James, he's like, well, actually he, he always called me Jim. He's like, Jim, he's like, uh, you need to start taking it easier on your body. And so I, I kind of backed away from it, but yeah, I was usually the first person, um, we had that in that one case, it was a minivan that slid off the road because of snow. And uh, we were trying to get people, people were still caught in it. Uh, we we're trying to get them out. And it was about 150 feet from the edge of the road and it was a straight cliff. And uh, the only thing that was holding this, this Dodge Caravan up to the road was uh, a small oak sapling that was probably about that big and uh so yeah we were getting people out and and we could see the van start shifting and the weight you know from people moving and so uh the fire chief yelled you know we need to get the vehicle secured and uh and they said well it's a cliff what are we going to secure it to you know it's winter there's you know 10, 12 inches of snow on the ground. How are we going to do this? We need to do it now. And so what they did was they actually hooked up uh, come alongs to the, the rescue truck into the fire chief's truck and then threw it over the axle and strapped it. Um, and then I, I just started going down the hill. I had no gear on or anything to try and get them out. And uh, one of the assistant fire chiefs, uh, who's actually my age and a friend of mine threw me a rope. And so I'm holding onto this rope and I grabbed the person just as the, the van shifted and uh, the, the straps held it, but I pulled the person out and, and, you know, kind of moved them up the side of the hill. And uh, you know, my, my rope started giving and I can't get, my, I can't get a step. My feet are starting to slide out from under me. And so I had that panic moment. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is going to end poorly. This is, yeah, I guess only me and you can laugh because we've worked in law enforcement and EMS. Sure. And this, is, this is the sick human that people say. But I guess in those True. moments, though, and James, so when they, when they do happen, um, you know, I know that you know, you're a strong Christian man. 
um, you know, of strong values, that there are times when you're seeing things in society where either mm -hmm. society says, says they're wrong or we challenge why they happen. I mean, were, were there times where you might have seen some, I'm sure you can recount tales of some horrific injuries and some sure. sad and tragic circumstances. Were you ever challenged in your faith, as in why did God allow to happen or what does this oh. mean? What did you pray from those incidents? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the deciding factors, a lot of a lot of my experiences growing up, I was involved in the church and I was very active with, uh, we had a small church and I was active with preaching. And uh, I got to a point in my life where people were coming up to me and saying, you know, you need to be a pastor, you need to be a preacher. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not interested in doing that. And uh, one evening, um, uh, and I, I don't think I, I wrote about this. I've written about a lot of the stories that happened, but um, one evening I responded um, with another friend of mine uh, to a car accident. In the car accident, um, it, it was it was four four individuals. They had been drinking at a party. They were teenagers, and they were uh, driving excessive speeds through the back uh, mountain roads of New Hampshire. And uh, they came around a corner and, and went off the road and hit, uh, actually plowed into an oak tree and stone wall. And, and the oak tree was probably about the size of, um, I would say probably four or five feet in diameter. It was a massive tree. Well, when before they hit that, before they accelerated, um, there was a guy, it was 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, there was a guy that had been hitchhiking. And so they stopped and they picked him up and, um, he knew him from high school, but he hadn't been at the party. He hadn't been drinking. And uh, he sat in the back seat and he, he didn't have his seatbelt on. And so for me at the time, they they crashed. You know, my pager went off. I, I went and I'm, I'm driving there. I knew right where it was. It was a it was a true travesty. Um, they had dispatched four or five ambulances. Ambulances were getting lost. Um, they couldn't figure out where this back road was. Uh, so when we got there, we were the first ambulance in and it was really crazy. I was pulled in six different directions at once. And at that point, in, for myself, I had gotten to the point where I was like really shutting God off. I was just like, you know, I'm going to do my thing, what I want to do. And, you know, I'm not interested. So don't talk to me about this. I'm doing my thing. And so um, I walked up to the car. Well, the, the boy that had been hitchhiking that they picked up uh, when they hit the oak tree actually went through. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He went through the dash into the engine compartment. And so when I walked up to the car, wow. I'm looking into the vehicle and I can see the four individuals who were strapped in and we're trying to cut part of the vehicle out to get them out. And um, my partner came up to me and he said, you know, he said, I want you to check for signs of life from the fifth boy. And I, I, I still, to this day, I remember leaning in the, the driver's side window and, uh, you know, his, his body was in the engine compartment. So his legs and, and backside were where you would shift your car. And at that moment, you know, I, you know, I just closed my eyes and, uh, you know, I stepped back, I, I got really dizzy and uh, I stepped back and I looked up in the sky and all I could see was uh, black. We're in the middle of nowhere, right? No streetlights, black stars everywhere. A gorgeous, gorgeous night. And the only thing, you know, opposite of that, obviously, was all the rescue equipment and the lights flashing and stuff. But I, I was staring up in the sky and I said, God, I said, you know, 
if you're up there, I really need your help. And of course, I knew in, in the back of my mind that he was there. He never left me. He, he you know, I, I was uh, became a believer at an early age. But, uh, you know, I looked up and I saw that and I said, OK, God, you know, here's here's my test for you. I really need you to give me a clear mind and help me with this. And so um, I looked down, I took a deep breath and uh, I did what I was supposed to do. And, you know, a peace just rolled over me. I, I can't even explain it. Uh, but honestly, uh, I went uh, home. Two of the individuals were life flighted uh, to local hospitals. Two were transported. I transported one of them. Uh, all four of the individuals uh, survived. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the one hitchhiking did not. Uh, and he was well known and, and that really impacted the community hard. Um, but when I got home, it was interesting. When I got home, uh, I flipped my devotional calendar. I had a calendar on my, my dresser. I flipped it over and there was a passage in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. And uh, if you ever get a chance to read it, it's a great passage. It's about um, King Jehoshaphat in the Bible. And he was trying to do the best he could. And he had these armies come up from the middle of nowhere and, and just presented him with this you know, ununderstandable war at his front door. And so the first thing, the very first thing that he did was he prayed. He gathered the people together. He prayed. He asked God for help. And so I came home and I, I'm like, OK, you know, I'm exhausted mentally, physically trying to get back into bed. I had been I had been at that incident in the hospital for for hours. And so I see this and I read it and I looked up the verse and I said in my bedroom, I sat there and I said, OK, God, whatever you want me to do, you got my attention. If you want me to go to college, if you want me to do this, whatever you want me to do, you make it happen because I know that you can make it happen. And what was crazy is the very next Sunday, and I had no, I had no college money. I had no money in reserve or anything. And uh, uh, my parents weren't, again, I mean, my dad is, is an engineer, a machinist. He, he works, he's an engineer for Ruger now. Uh, he works for the, the firearms company. Uh, but, you know, at the time that he he had probably a $15 an hour job. So there was no way that he was going to say, here's some money to help go to college or anything. It had never been an option for me. And so I went to church the next, a couple days later, and I really wanted to share. And, and we had, you know, remarkably circumstances, right? Providence, whatever. The speaker uh, for that day didn't show up. And so they're like, we need a speaker. <laughs> they're like, hey, James. James, you're the guy. <laughs> So they grabbed me. So I went up there and I, I read the verse and I explained what happened in, in the mindset and the peace that God um, gave me. And I, and, and I, I'm not making this stuff up. This is this is what really happened. I walked away after we were done, after I was done preaching, walked away and uh, an older gentleman walked up to me and he said, uh, James, he said, I, I want you to come over to my house this afternoon. And I said, why, sir? You know what? What do you need help? Some help with something. What can I do for you? And he's like, no, I want you to come over and I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So I drove over to his house and I was sitting on the porch, his porch drinking iced tea. And he said, uh, you know, he said, uh, I know you guys don't have a lot of money. Uh, but he said, God told me that I need to help you go to college. And he said, I, I think this is a good college. 
and uh, I'm going to help you go. And he said, I will pay for a third of it. Uh, he said, a third of it is your responsibility. And he said, I feel like a third of it is your parents' responsibility. And so I, I kind of looked at him and I said, you know, and my, my brain just, you know, <laughs> it just exploded. I said, why are you doing this? And he said, you know, he said, I've seen in you what I haven't seen in, uh, in my own family. He said, my son does not follow the Lord. Uh, and it, it turns out this man had, um, had established a chicken farm in Long Island, had property, extensive property in New York off, off Long Island, and he sold it and uh, basically retired in Vermont, uh, right near us. And uh, his son went and did his own thing. And so he's like, you know what? He, he was not interested in the Bible. He wasn't interested in God. And he's like, I see an interest and a passion in you. And he's like, I, I want to help and this is the last thing that he ever said to me, I want to help you out because you're going to do big things for, for God. And I just looked at him and I'm like, why would you, why would you say that? How do you know? And he's like, I, I just know this, this is what's going to happen. So he, he ended up in the whole, the whole stretch. And this was like two weeks or no, it was probably about four weeks before college started. And so now all of a sudden I'm like, wow, maybe this isn't a possibility. Right. So in, in four weeks, I ended up selling a car. Um, I went to college, I got a job. Um, and I, the first year I walked in and I knew I was going to have a balance. I knew I was going to have to do a, a work program or something like that to pay for it. And I sat in uh, the business administrator's office and I said, uh, sir, I said, how much do I owe you? And he looked up, at, looked at the balance card balance sheet and looked back at me and he said, uh, Mr. McGarvey, you don't owe us anything. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, let me double check. I said, I owe you money. <laughs> and he's like, let me go check. So he leaves the room, comes back. And he said, no, he said, your account, he's like, there's actually a, a, a positive $300 in your account. And of course that was, that was 20 years ago, but the, uh, the money, I think it was like $9,000 for the year. And of course, when you don't have anything to me, I was like, that is a crazy large amount of well, you money. You said you're an old man, um, James. So oh, if, you're going back, if you're going back a long time, that, that must've been a lot of money. But, you know, I started crying and, and the, the business administrator kind of looked at me and he said, are, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not because I can see the the blessing of God. I said, you know, four weeks ago, I would have never thought that this was going to happen. And four weeks ago, I was doing my own thing and, and it, it, it impacted me. And, you know, going to college, honestly, going to college changed my life. You know, I, I ended up actually um, getting a degree there four years and, and uh, ended up meeting my wife there. And so uh, the rest, as they say, is is history. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting sure. to say that because, you know, when I was phrasing that question for you is that as an EMS, I mean, like you said, you've been dangling down the side of a cliff yeah, or a right. caravan is about to fall off. You know, you had some um, difficult things to overcome that you've seen. Um, and it, it ties into a conversation I had with Williford a little while ago when I was sort of talking sure. to him about, um, yeah, he was saying that post Sutherland Springs in 2017, he's had a lot of blessings. 
And he accounts for those for God asking him to do something very difficult. Obviously, he had to engage a, a gunman and, and sort of fire sure. back. And, and he said, this is his reward for, for doing something challenging. So when I was asking you a question about being the EMS, it was going to be, well, how are you dealing with the sort of the stresses and strains of challenging? <laughs> well, God, why, why, why are people dying? Why are people in these situations? But there is a difference between the natural and the supernatural. You know, yeah. God can't define natural law. If you're not wearing a seatbelt, you're not wearing a seatbelt. You're going to go flying, flying through the front. But it's interesting to hear how that you were really blessed through that situation of, of your, your service. So, I think story. it was, uh, honestly, I, I think it was interesting too, because often, and, and we don't think, you know, even in church safety, a lot of times we don't think about how our actions impact others, right? And that, that ripple effect or that, that seven ways that this, this happens with this or whatnot. But what was interesting was when things happened that were bad, I started to develop a relationship with the other folks that were also responding. And so they would come to me and they would say, well, how are you handling this? And of course, you know, similar, similar story to, um, to your story. Uh, but you know, there was nothing back then, you know, there, there was no counseling, there was no, um, you know, if you, if you decided that you wanted to go get counseling to answer those questions or, or ask those questions, you were looked at as incompetent. Yeah. Right? I mean, I can remember as a police officer going to numerous horrific scenes that it really was, you know, buck yourself, Buck yourself up, Osmo, and get out there. You know, there, there, was, yeah. there was no sympathy. Not that you expected sympathy, but it just no. wasn't, wasn't there. Sometimes, and what was what was crazy to me was, you know, whenever I came home from a call, my dad would always sit down with me, and maybe it was at the table over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. But he, when I when I took my shoes off and hung up my gear, he would always say to me, "Do you want to talk about it?" And maybe that made the difference. And there were some days where I said, you know what, dad, let's, let's go walk outside around the garden or let's go do something because I, I do need to talk about it. And so, you know, my dad was always there for me. Other people saw, and I think to an extent, you know, that pushed me into, um, you know, I was the person really the infant stages of being a chaplain, because I was the person that many came to and they said, well, you're, you're handling this okay. How are you dealing with this? Let's talk about it. You know, and often I, the only thing I could say is, you know, I, I relate it back to, you know, regardless of what happens in my life or to me, I'm there to help. But, you know, my hope is in, is in God and, and my stability is, it's not that it doesn't impact me or it doesn't affect me. Uh, it's just that at the end of the day, I'm content knowing that God put me in that position to do the best I can. I did the best I could. And, um, you know, I, I move on from there. Do I still question stuff? Absolutely. I, I mean, as much as, as you, you know, I'm sure have, you know, gone back and questioned, did I do this right? And it kind of haunts you. There are things that, that haunt me still to this day where I say, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I, I did this. Could I have impacted this person? Could I have saved this person if I had done something just a tiny different? Um, but, you know, again, at the, at the end of the day, understanding that we, we love and serve a gracious God uh, that puts us in situations and, and gives us mental strength and stability to make it through, that's really, <laughs> that's really what I've, I've kind of leaned on and gone back to.
So yeah, and I know you know you've had a very quite a varied um, career in different you know always sure. focused, but a varied career in, in different things. And and one of the things that you started to get into now are devotionals. So I know that you uh-huh. just finished your you got a thirty one day devotional. Yes, and you're just working working on a new devotional. And I hear you've got a nice foreword from uh, <laughs> someone someone well known. I don't know who that person is, but you know. It's, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, is it Simon Osman? Is that rising? Well, yeah. I asked, now could you edit me out of the book? So, you know, if, if I say it, it becomes... It becomes so what led you to create these devotional books then? Sure. Well, you know, the first one, War Ready, and, and that's available on Amazon. Um, but War Ready was really a, a project that uh, Paul Buckner and I both started. And Paul was really focused on uh, encouraging and mentoring people in the physical ability, like get in shape, stay in shape, because there could be times when you have, you're called to run across the street or, or run out to help somebody or physically exert yourself. So let's, let's do it in baby steps, but stay in, you know, stay in shape with a scripture reference and, and that sort of thing. And I started looking at that content and I said, you know what? Um, there really isn't a lot out there. There's a lot of great book materials and books. You know, Colonel Grossman has has great books. Uh, Carl Chin has has a, a great book. But it's really like, okay, this is how we did it. This is how you set up a safety team. That's it. There's there's very little out there to say. Okay, this is. I understand. I can empathize. I can. I can understand where you're at, uh, because you're dealing with this right now, and I've dealt with it too. So let me tell you. Let me. Let me try and encourage and disciple you. And so, I just one day I started messing around with with trying to put War Ready together and and uh, self publish it. And we did. And, and Paul was like, what are you doing? I don't, you know, he's blown away. And he still to this, to this day says, you know, that was all on you. You, you sat down, you organized it, you edited it, et cetera. Um, it was really a joint effort. Um, the new one that's coming out, the road less traveled is, is probably going to release sometime this week, but um, you know, I did, I asked you to write the forward for it and you were far you, too you, you committed now, it's in there. <laughs> you were far too generous and complimentary, but I liked, uh, you know, we, we've, we've known each other for a little bit of time and I liked, I've always liked the fact that, uh, you're ministry minded and, and you're focused on that. And, and I you would don't say, have to say nice things about the host, James. That oh, okay. part of, uh, that's not part of it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I feel like we're, we're, we've become good friends. We've gotten, you know, we've gotten along. Um, you haven't sent any crazy drones to my house yet in Ohio or anything like you know that, of, yeah. that I know of. Right. So, um, but realistically, you know, the, the new one, um, the road less traveled, is kind of a pun uh, because uh, growing up, I grew up in New Hampshire. Uh, Robert Frost is a famous American poet. He came from, um, from New Hampshire, and he has a book or poem entitled The Road Less Traveled. And that was one of my favorite poems, a very famous uh, American poem, literature, American literature. And uh, so I used to study that and read that. And I always understood um, when I read it, I always saw the spiritual implications of the road less traveled. And, you know, as, as believers, often we take a smaller path, a path that's not always recognized, a path that you know, people criticize us for sometimes. And I I often felt like, you know, with the safety team, we get a lot of criticism. Often, you know, it's people think, oh, well, you're just playing security guard. You know, you're not really, you're not really 
impacting in a in an impactful way. And so, to me, it was kind of a pun on words. But as I went through it, um, you know, we we did a thirty one day approach. We took a thirty one day approach. We added a journal concept. That was one thing uh, that folks had asked us for a place to journal. Um, and then we also uh, added a, a group study component where someone could do like a small group or a life group uh, Bible study, and they would have the basis of asking questions that would maybe prompt some healthy discussion with, um, you know, mental health and how does that impact you? Uh, how does leadership characteristics impact you? And, and that's all things we need to, I mean, honestly, with church safety, we need to consider and, and keep in mind that that individuals, um, individuals are impacted by stuff in different ways. And, and I could have a mental um, ability to handle doing CPR on someone or, you know, doing that methodically because I've done it before. But that doesn't mean that someone that has less experience could handle it the same way. And so often, you know, the, the, the large experiences that we've dealt with afterwards, I've, I've pulled my team aside and I said, okay, you know what? Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's listening. It's just me. I'm here. Um, let's talk about this. You know, how did this impact you? How are you, how are you mental, mental health wise? How are you coping? How are you handling this? Yeah, and that's one of the big pieces which is missing. And I'm so pleased and excited for you to be releasing this. You know, I spoke to you during the week about it, and I wasn't joking, but this is a book that a lot of people that work with in law enforcement um, and EMSs, just anyone in the public service really needs because, you know, we can be in heightened, stressful situations and we need to take mm -hmm. time to journal and reflect. So, um, James, very quickly before we wrap up, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about the church safety guys? Sure. Um, well, you can visit our website uh, is churchsafetyguys.com. Uh, we also have a Church Safety Guys Facebook page and uh, we have connections, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, all that. I haven't I haven't moved to TikTok yet. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Well, you said, yeah, I think you're a bit too old for TikTok. Maybe. You mentioned Snapchat in a second. So. There you go. Uh, impacting impacting a younger generation and, and preparing the next you know the next set of leaders but uh, you know we have we we do have the group church safety and security on Facebook um, that's that's definitely been uh, probably the largest way and and certainly anytime uh, someone you know e you can email us through the website or that sort of thing and uh, and reach out that way but James it's been an absolute pleasure um, talking to you today and thank you for your journey <laughs> Take care. Thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. If you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, as well as share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast.